We got married March 31st, 2018. So about nine months after we were married, we found out we were gonna have a baby. We definitely had an easy pregnancy, so we expected an easy birth. When he first come out, it was like amazing, but he didn't do anything. He was very quiet, there was no cry. Not hearing that cry, then not, you know, him not responding to anything. You know, he's not responding, that's what they kept saying. He's not responding to, you know, compressions, he's not responding to us giving him oxygen. So we went five days before we even knew what was really going on. He was diagnosed with HIE, which is his hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay, I said it right. Um, but basically, it's this long term that basically just means Hudson went without blood flow or oxygen to the brain for a period of time. Because of HIE, Hudson has cerebral palsy, which um, controls his muscles, and so he doesn't move like, you know, me and you move. He's got a visual impairment called cortical vision impairment, and it also has severe hearing loss. Um, we have epilepsy, with, which is a seizure disorder. In the NICU, it didn't hit us so hard as when we, we came home. Because yeah. when we came home, it's like, this is, this is our life now. Like, this is a lifelong thing. We had people tell us, you know, like, Hudson will walk one day, and Hudson will yeah. talk one day, and like, yeah. Hudson will swallow, and we're praying for these things. And I was so confident in God to do this miracle. Every night we were on our hands, on our knees, praying like, Lord, fully restore Hudson, you know, yeah. like, let this be a miracle story. It slowly became, you know, Lord, why haven't you done this yet? Yeah, Lord, yeah. what can you do for me? Versus, yeah. Lord, how can I enjoy yeah. what you've already given me? Yeah. Not the blessing I thought I was missing. Me and her had like a one-on-one -on -one conversation one night. You know, Lindsay came to me and she was just like, I don't, I don't want to pray for all those things. Like, we, we pray the same thing every night. You know, let's pray for faith, let's pray for trust, and let's pray for joy through this time. He was about six months old when we finally realized, like, Lord, he is the miracle. Yeah. Like, Hudson's perfect. Hudson is made in God's image. Like, God did not make a mistake when he allowed this to happen. When we finally accepted, like, this is our life. Like, this is Hudson. This is Hudson. Not what we imagined Hudson would be. Not no. the expectations that we had of Hudson. This right here sitting no. in my lap is Hudson. That's when joy came. And then we slowly started seeing things that we were missing because, because we, we thought we were yeah. missing, you know? Yeah. Like, he was showing us he wanted yeah. us. He was showing us that he prefers mommy and daddy to hold him than anybody else. He was slowly showing us things, but we were so focused on what we had lost that we missed it. Pride gets in the way, so like, we want to control things. It was hard for me at first to let go and just like give him to God because like that, I think that's what got me through as far as faith um, is is knowing who his real father is. Like if, if we're putting God first in our lives and then if we're putting him above all else, I mean, we find joy through that darkness. We're not promised, you know, sunshine and rainbows on, on this side of heaven. That's why heaven's so great, because that's a promise that we have as Christians. Like, we know we're going to heaven. We know one day Hudson will be fully restored. And so I think when we slowly realized, like, Lord, He is perfect. He is the miracle. Like, He's here, alive today. Like, everything changed. Yeah.
Whew. Man. Man, what a story, right? Like being heaven bound changes things for us. It changes the way. So put yourself in their shoes. Like how do you, how do you and I get there? Like how do we get to that place with, with the Garrett family where they had a different perspective about life? They had a different perspective about how things were going to work out. They had a different mindset about what God was doing. They had a different kind of hope in heaven because of how they were dealing with stuff right now. They were handed things way too hard for them in the moment. They were handed things way uncertain for them, and yet they responded and continue to respond in confidence. How do we get there? How do we begin living that kind of life? You see, I think the Garrett family, they've come to terms with a certain reality. And this is the main thing I want us to understand. But we live in a place between two worlds. You see, we live in a place where our hearts are set on heaven, but our feet are still on the ground. Our hearts are longing for something, longing for what's to come, longing for God to show up. If you're a follower of Jesus, your, your heart and your mind are set on eternity. But the reality is my feet are still on the ground. I'm still, we're still facing things today that are harder than we thought. And so we live in this tension as those who are followers of Jesus. Because on one hand, Paul says in Philippians 3.20, he says things like, but our citizenship is where? Heaven. So many of us, when we walk through this life, we feel like, man, why does this feel off? Why doesn't this feel like home? It's because it's not. It's never going to do everything we need it to do. It's never going to meet the desires deep within us. It's never going to satisfy because our home is in heaven. We are citizens of a different place, of another place. We're citizens of heaven. And at the same time, Jesus commissioned every generation of followers to go and make disciples of all nations. Boots on the ground. Every generation, go make disciples of every nation. So we live in this tension. Citizen of heaven, but my mission, I've been commissioned. We as a church have been commissioned to make disciples of all nations. Let me put it a different way. I think followers of Jesus live in the tension between these two desires. One, our desire, our longing for heaven because if you look around, you're probably thinking, man, this is not what I thought it should be. This is not as good as I think it's going to get. Everything is not perfect here. So we're longing for heaven. And then the second desire is Jesus' desire for the church to live as a picture of heaven here and now. That's our world. Longing for heaven, but also called to live as a picture of it here and now. So that's what we're going to be talking about over our time together. See, the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, was already but not yet fully here. Uh, Well-known systematic theologian Stanley Grin says it this way. Jesus saw his divine reign as inaugurated but not consummated. That means that Jesus brought the kingdom with him when he showed up. And when he defeated death and the grave, he did something in our world. So God's reign is now coming. His reign is now taking over, especially seen in the life of the church and in the mission of the church. However, there's coming a day when Jesus will finish what he started. There's coming a day. That's where our hope is, right there. There's coming a day when he will come and make all things right. So again, for us, 
We live in these two tensions. So let's, let's talk about this first desire, this longing we have for heaven. Think about it like this, because I know many of us have been in this place, right? You plan that vacation, or there's this holiday coming, or this big event, or this thing that you're like, I cannot wait. Like when my wife tells me, hey, we're going to get cheesecake Friday, okay? I'm like, if I can make it to Friday, Life is good, right? And it's those weeks when you have the vacation coming or that big event coming or that thing that's happening that you're waiting on, you're longing for. When you have that in mind, all of a sudden that week just breaks loose, right? Everything wrong that could go wrong goes wrong. You're constantly putting out fires. You're constantly doing all these things. But every now and then you pick your head up and go, Friday's coming. Friday's coming. And I will be friend. Cheesecake is coming. Like there's coming a day. When, when all this will be over and I will get to live in delight, that's what our longing for heaven is like. And you can hear this kind of tension show up, especially in this passage of Revelation chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We are going to put the passage up here because we're going to walk through it together. But I want us to look at this. Revelation chapter 6, keep in mind, Revelation is a highly symbolic um, text, okay? So there are a lot of things that you, you need to kind of read the whole thing to get a picture of. But the main point of this passage, I think, is going to be really clear. Let me read it. Here it goes. When he, that is Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. That is, they lived for God and it cost them their life. Okay? They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, listen to that, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're crying out like things aren't right. When are you going to fix it? Then they were each given a white robe and told, rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters should be complete. Those who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now think about this. You can hear these martyrs, this picture. We're given a picture in this place where God has not yet come, but he's already started his work. We're in this tension. And you can hear the martyrs saying things like, how long is this going to last? Things should not be like this, right? Don't you feel that? Like, don't you feel like, man, it shouldn't be like this. And they're saying, like, Jesus, you are the only one who can actually do something about this. Remember, it's the lamb who has been slain, who is the one who has been able to open the scrolls. Okay, so all that symbolic language. Here's what it is. It's a picture of Jesus, and it's a picture of him given authority to open the scroll. That means he's the only one, only one who can completely work out restoring all things. He's the only one who can completely restore all things. And just a recap, we've been in this series for a couple weeks now talking about, man, what's it going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? And it's this perfect. Heaven equals perfect. That means it's complete. It's full. I remember this movie, uh, Pistol Pete. It was one of those movies I watched as a kid. Super inspired, right? I was like, I am now going to become a basketball player. In the same way I watched Rudy and thought, yeah, I'll never make it in college ball either. So I was like, okay, don't pursue that dream. Pistol Pete, you're, you're my thing here. So watch that movie, super inspired. There's a scene that's stuck in my brain. You remember the father who's the coach. There's a scene where he pulls the team together and he says, guys, this is bigger than basketball. 
We're not just talking about basketball. We're talking about life. He says, and if you trust me, I can help you get to a new place. And then he grabs a ball. Do you remember this scene? He grabs a ball and he says, this represents everything I know about basketball. He says, this represents everything that can be discovered about basketball. Then he takes a marker and he puts a dot on it. And he says, that's what you know about basketball. And he says, if you let me, I will help you discover more. And this series is kind of like us putting a dot on this ball going like, that's what we understand right now. But there's coming a day when we will be able to discover this full, perfect, complete picture. What we know in part now, a fraction of what is to come. I mean, there's coming a day when we will actually see it and taste it and be a part of it. Remember things that we've said about heaven, right? And I'm going to recap real fast. Unhindered relationships. Think about this. No awkward encounters with people in heaven, you don't have an ex-girlfriend you're dodging in heaven, right? There, some of you are like, are you sure, <laughs> right? Maybe, I don't know. Again, I have the spec. I don't have the whole picture yet. But it's unhindered relationships. All the things that have come between us in relationships here and now won't exist. So unhindered in our relationship and ability to love one another and unhindered relationship with God himself. Think of that. Unhindered relationship with Jesus. Think about this, an absolutely thrilling existing, existence, meaning infinite opportunity to discover and explore all that God has created and all of his character. We get to spend eternity discovering how amazing God is and how amazing his creation is. Absolutely abundant life. Everything that has hindered us here, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, all those things will be unhindered and we will live this abundant life. Think about it, full of joy, built on peace. Man, think of that. Some of us haven't even lived a peaceful day in a long time. And heaven itself is built on peace. Just being there changes everything. Everything sad will be undone. Man, everything broken, undone. Every bit of guilt, every bit of shame, insecurity, fear, depression, mental illness, disease, addiction, all of that dissolved and done away with. Man, Psalm 58, listen to 56 verse 8, look at what this says. The psalmist says, you, talking to the Lord, you keep track of my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. Some of you have lived days that were the darkest days in your life. Some of you have encountered brokenness that you thought there's no way I'm coming back from this. Some of you have experienced abuse that you think this should not even exist in our world. Some of you have been abandoned and neglected. Some of you have been overlooked. And all of these moments in our lives, we go, God, where were you? What were you doing when I needed you? He was collecting your sorrows. Think about that. Intensely involved in your brokenness. Collecting sorrows. He's even recorded them in a book. You know why? 
Because in Revelation 21, he says this. There's coming a day where I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I'm going to wipe the way. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. Undone. Sin itself undone. The curse and brokenness undone. Think of that reality. And all of this is possible because the presence and power of Jesus. Please hear me. There is no heaven without Jesus. So if you don't like Jesus, if you don't like his ways, if you don't like what he's about, you're not going to enjoy heaven because what makes heaven heaven is, guess what? Jesus. It's all possible because of him. Unhindered relationships, possible because of him. Abundant life, filled with joy, full of peace because of Jesus. That's what makes it heaven. So let's go back to the scene in Revelation 6. The martyrs in this place of going, you've started your work, but you're not done yet. How long is this going to last? And what does Jesus say? He basically says, I'm waiting. Think about that. He looks at them and he says, here's a white robe. You've completed your journey and I'm purifying you. You've done an amazing job and it's complete. But my work is not complete. I'm waiting. So he tells them, rest a while. That's what he's saying when he says that. Rest a little bit longer because in his divine patience, he says, I'm waiting to until as many will come. I'm just waiting until as many will come, have come. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm waiting for them to show up. Everybody who's willing and wanting to come to me, I'm waiting for them. That's what he says. And this is not a new thing in God's character that shows up in Revelation. This is who he is. He is a patient God. Look at Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Look at this. The Lord, the Lord God, he is describing himself to Moses. Okay, that's the scene here. He says, this, I am a compassionate God, gracious, slow to what? Anger. Man, I'm so thankful. Jesus is slow to anger with me. I get so frustrated when he's slow to anger with other people. Am I the only one? No? Right? Thank you, God, that you waited for me. But come on. They don't deserve this. They're not trying hard enough. They're not working hard enough. They don't care about you. Slow to anger. Abounding in loving kindness and truth. Look at the next part. He keeps... Loving kindness for thousands. Some translations add thousands of generations. Think about that. Our God, slow to anger, compassionate, loving kindness for thousands of generations. Wanting every generation and the thousand behind them to know his love. Who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. But, keep this in mind, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. That could be a scary verse for us, but let me explain it. It means in every generation, he's going to deal with sin. He cannot stand sin because it has wreaked havoc on his world and on his beloved people. So in every generation, he's going to deal with sin. But for thousands of generations... 
he's going to hope that they will turn to him. For thousands of generations, he's going to wait. He's going to be slow to anger. He's going to be patient. Just like Jesus said in Revelation 6, 11, rest a little while. Basically, I'm waiting for all who will come, have come. You see, I think every, every person throughout history that has banked their eternal life on Jesus has this longing for heaven because we know things aren't right and we can't wait for God to fix it. But I would go further to say, I think every single human that we run into has this same kind of longing placed deep within them. Every single person you meet. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that eternity's written on people's hearts. That means they will run to the end of the world finding something to satisfy and come up empty. Okay, St. Augustine said it this way. He said, my soul is restless until my soul finds rest in you. And listen, for those of you who don't need, know Jesus yet, you may have called this longing something else. You may be running after it with reckless abandon, searching for something that is going to satisfy, something that is going to bring rest to your soul. Listen to me, all creation will echo this truth. Only Jesus brings satisfaction to the soul because only Jesus brings wholeness to humanity. This is the tension we live in. Our souls are longing for him. But here's what we need to see. Those who are heaven bound are bound to bring heaven now. This is Jesus' desire for us. This is the same tension that Paul talks about in Philippians 1-2. Let's look at this. He says, for me, to live is Christ. For me, here and now, I'm going to live like Jesus. And to die is gain. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. That means he's caught in tension between this longing for heaven and the reality that he's called to live as a picture of it. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is so much better, so much better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. He knew that even though he had this longing for heaven, he felt the weight, um, he felt the weight of this tension to live as a picture of heaven. So that's us. Live as a picture of heaven. That's why Jesus prayed, Matthew 6, 10. He says, your kingdom come. And he told us to pray the same way. He said, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is where? Heaven. What's he saying? Become the picture of heaven here and now. Part of the answer to Jesus' prayer is the church. That's why he started it. Because we get to live as this picture of a kingdom reality. So part of this is, is that we live this reality for Jesus. Stanley grins. Again, here's what he says. As the community of the people of God, the church is a sign of God's reign. People look at the church and they see the kingdom. And they're pointed to it. Another way to say this is as the church, we live as a picture of heaven and therefore give our world a taste of what is to come rub shoulders with you and get a taste for what heaven is like. That's the picture of the church. One of my favorite authors, Major Ian Thomas, he wrote this book, Indwelling Life of Christ. He says, the Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth not to get us out of hell and into heaven, though he is the only one who can and does if we will let him, but to get himself out of heaven and where? Into 
us. He goes further to say Christ himself is the very life content of the Christian faith. Christ himself is our life. What our world desperately needs is a picture of what it's like to live according to the ways of heaven. They don't need something else. They don't need something less. They need a church to be the picture of heaven. So let me be a little more direct here. Many of us have been living hell on earth. Right? I think we're done with that. It's time for us to start living heaven on earth here and now. It's time to allow the ways of Jesus to actually direct every aspect of our lives. I'm not talking about an hour at a service. I'm not talking about just a moment in the weekend. I'm talking about every aspect of our lives surrendered to the ways of Jesus because the ways of Jesus are the ways of living. There isn't another version of this. And so it's time to allow everything to be surrendered to Jesus. So let me ask you a question. And this is a question I think you should ask yourself often. Here it is. How am I a picture of heaven? How am I a picture of heaven in my dating relationships? Now hold up. Right? When you're dating, are you aiming to make the other person more holy? Or are you trying to get something from them? Whether that's personal identity or some sort of satisfaction. How are you a picture of heaven in your dating relationships? How are you a picture of heaven in the way you treat your spouse? I'll make it personal. How am I, how am I a picture of heaven in the way I treat my spouse and my kids? Let me be honest. My kids don't always get a picture of heaven when they get me. Sometimes they get frustration. Sometimes they get distracted from me. That's what they get. Sometimes they get like, dad's in another place, where is he? Sometimes that's what they get. So the invitation Jesus has for us is to ask this question, how am I a picture of heaven for my spouse? That just by being close, we would in some way become more like Jesus. Same thing for my kids, how am I a picture for that? How am I a picture of heaven in the way I do my schoolwork? Students, sorry. How am I a picture of heaven in the way that I treat my business? Do I have a business hat that I wear throughout the week and then when I come to church, I put on my Jesus hat? And here's how I act here. But when it's business time, I put on a different cap. I lead a different way. I drive a different thing. My purpose seems to shift. How am I a picture of heaven in the way I lead my business? How am I a picture of heaven in the way I respond to betrayal? When somebody hurt you, is there quick forgiveness or do you allow a root of bitterness to take hold of your heart and begin to poison you? One leads to life, one doesn't. So how am I a picture of heaven and all these things? Listen, longing for heaven, becoming a picture of heaven on earth enables us to own these words that show up at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, one of the things that Mentor of Mine has talked about is this idea of the difference between owning and renting. Sometimes we rent scripture. Like we read it and we go, oh man, that would be really good for somebody else. Or, oh man, that'll be good, but I forget about it when I close the Bible and I go my way. There's a difference between owning the truths of, or renting the truths of scripture and owning it. With our eyes set on heaven, we can own Corinthians 15. Listen to what it says. The end of the passage ends this way. 
When the perishable puts on imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Now, this is where I need you to listen. Because because I am heaven bound, because you are heaven bound, verse 58 is your verse. You don't rent this one anymore. You own it. Look what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Man, be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Living is a picture of heaven here and now is worth it because of what's coming. That changes things for us. So if everything I've said is true, and we're going to start wrapping up here, so, you know, you can wake up if you need to. Um, but if everything we've said is true, right, we spent a number of weeks now talking about heaven. We spent a number of weeks talking about what's coming and, and how to get there. And, and listen, if you don't know Jesus, you need to surrender your life to him because he's the Savior. He's Lord of creation. You either figure that out now or you figure it out later. Let's choose now. Surrender your life to him. And I get it. There's some of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And I am so thankful that you're even here because at least you're willing to show up. And by showing up, I know something about you. You have the courage to ask the next question or take the next step. If you showed up here, then you are able and willing to do what's next. And that is what matters. And so keep pursuing this. God's doing something in your life. And so keep following whatever he's doing. But for, there, for many of us, we have banked our lives and eternity on following Jesus. So we believe what we've been talking about. We believe it's true. We believe it matters. And we believe it's worth living every day for. So if we, in fact, think this is true, let me give us two questions. Here's the first one. What do you hope is said about you at your funeral? Now, I realize I just took a morbid turn there, right? Um, but last week, if you were here, Cam talked about me dying for 10 minutes. And so I think this is okay. We're still within the bounds here. But, but think about, okay, so listen, listen, listen. If, if we're invited, if Jesus' invitation to us is live as a picture of heaven here and now, the question is what picture will we celebrate at your funeral? There's going to come a day when your family comes to me or comes to Pastor Cam or somebody else and says, hey, they passed away and we'd love for you to do their funeral. And then I am going to spend the next few days trying to develop a picture of your life. And my hope is that, my hope is that I'm overwhelmed by the picture of your life. My hope is that I'm constantly bombarded by emails and text messages, friends and family saying like, you've got to talk about this. You've got to talk about how they showed up for those kids. You've got to talk about 
how they were the one person who took the uncomfortable step and engaged this community and made a difference. And now there's hundreds of people who are impacted because they took one courageous step. You've got to talk about how they love their family because their family is better. They're mourning because they were amazing. They're not glad they're gone, but they know where they're going. So when I'm doing your funeral, on behalf of all pastors, please give us something to work with. I don't even think that's okay to say, but, but I need you to hear it. Because sometimes trying to paint a picture of someone's life becomes difficult if they were not a picture of heaven. So this would be an awesome question, I think, to challenge your group with. Whatever that is, it could be you and a couple friends at a coffee shop outside. Um, it, could be, it could be, you know, your group, however you guys meet. I want to take you challenge a little bit farther. What if you wrote the message you hope someone preaches at your funeral? What if you just wrote down the things you hope they say and then share that with somebody and start pursuing it? Okay, so this is the first question. What do you hope is said at your funeral? Here's the second question. What do you hope Jesus says to you when you stand face to face with him? Because every believer is longing for that day. Every one of us is longing for that day. And I guarantee you, the moment you see him, every struggle in this life, every hurt in this life, every hardship in this life is going to fade away in light of his glory. That's going to happen. So on that day when you see him face to face, on that day when, when I've thought about this, I don't want to put him in the position where he says or thinks, why didn't you trust me more? I don't want to hear those words. Or I don't want to think that he has to think those words. Why didn't you trust me more? And why didn't you take some risks? Why didn't you love with abandon why didn't you do the things that I invited you to do? I created you with crazy purpose and crazy talent and crazy gifting. And I set you in that place because that place was dark and it needed light. And I looked at you and you were light and you could have done something in that place and you didn't. I don't want him to think those things. I want him to think, oh, Man, am I proud of you. Well done. Right, we know those words. We've heard those words. But to hear them from his mouth is going to be different. Well done. Man, I threw you out there and you fought like crazy. I gave you everything you needed and you stood strong. You were steadfast. You were immovable. You were abounding in my work. I could give you anything and you would run with it. I could put you anywhere and you would change things for my name. I could do anything in you and through you because you said, I am wide open to your kingdom. Do anything you want in and through my life. Well done. Enter. Come see the other side of this. That's what I hope for my life. I hope that for my kids. I hope they hear him say that. I hope that for my family, my wife. I hope that for all of us. 
that we hear him say those words. Because yes, we have this longing for heaven, but the great invitation for us is to live as a picture of heaven now. So let me pray that we do. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to know you and come to you. Father, we all come in here with stuff. Every one of us hears voices that are untrue. Things like, you're not good enough, you're not qualified, you couldn't possibly fill in the blank. And we're, we're asking you to help us tune those out and hear your voice that invites us to live a different kind of life. A life that makes a difference, not just in this generation, but as part of that chain of you sharing your love for thousands of generations. This is our generation. This is the one you've placed us in. And we want to make much of you in it. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.